0: The Peter Schiff Show Today's podcast was recorded yesterday. If you want to listen to my podcasts commercial free the day that I record them, go to shiftradio.com/premium. It only costs $5 a month. Today's podcast is sponsored by Rocket Money. What's Rocket Money? You've heard me talk about True Bill, lowering bills, canceling subscriptions and more. Well, True Bill has changed its name. It's now Rocket Money. So start canceling your unused subscriptions and save money at rocketmoney.com slash gold. Today was probably one of the most significant days I've seen yet in the markets. And there is an old expression, no one rings a bell. And what that expression means is that there's no warning when there's a major top or a major bottom. It's not like somebody rings a bell and tells you, you've got to figure it out. Well, in my experience, sometimes they do ring a bell. In fact, oftentimes there are many bells that are rung. The problem is people don't hear them. Or if they hear them, they don't understand them. And that also happens in bubbles because bubbles always find a pit. But if you don't know you're in a bubble, you generally don't see the pin. And if you don't understand that there's a problem, even if there's a bell that's rung, you're likely to be dismissive because you don't get the meaning of that bell. But today they rang the mother of all bells. In fact, it was literally Big Ben that rang because the bell was in England, in the United Kingdom, because the Bank of England was the first major central bank, to blink in this global game of chicken. The Bank of England has already pivoted and has returned to quantitative easing. Now, this is very significant because up until yesterday, the governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, he was just as hawkish as Jerome Powell. He was talking tough about how resolute the Bank of England was, to fighting inflation. They've got the highest inflation in Europe. It's way above their 2% target. It's a double-digit number. It's above 10%. And so Bailey was committed to bringing down inflation. He even said, no matter the cost, I'm willing to endure some pain, just like Jerome Powell was saying. Well, that was all a bluff because we got some pain overnight and Bailey folded like a cheap suit, and instead of quantitative tightening, they're back to quantitative easing. The rate hikes are probably permanently on hold because the Bank of England refused to allow a potential crisis to unfold as a result of rising interest rates. And the crisis manifests itself in the UK pension system. See, the problem that pensions have had all around the world this is not a situation isolated to the united kingdom so you're going to have these type of problems everywhere including the united states you have a lot of these defined benefit pensions where the pensions are obligated to pay out the pensioners certain amounts of money for the rest of their lives after they retire well what pensions typically do is they invest a lot of money in bonds and then they take the income From their bond portfolios and they use that income to meet their pension obligations well what do you do when the central banks bring interest rates down to zero and you can barely get any income on your bonds how do you match your liabilities with your assets when your assets are barely throwing off any income well the way a lot of these british pension funds solve that problem is they took on debt they leveraged their bonds For example, let's say that a pension fund was typically getting a 6% yield on a longer-term British guilt. And now, because the central bank had lowered interest rates so much, the yields on those longer-term bonds had dropped to 3%. Well, maybe 3% income is not enough to meet their obligations. So what did they do? Well, short-term rates were down at 25 basis points, they were practically giving that money away. So what that enabled these bond funds to do was to go out and borrow some really cheap money and pay maybe 25 basis points on that borrowed money and then take that money and buy a longer-term bond that yielded 3%. So let's say the pension fund now buys twice as many bonds that yield 3% as when it was buying bonds that yield 6%, it still basically gets the same yield, but it's doing it by taking on a lot of debt. It's not buying bonds with the money it has. It's buying bonds with the money it's borrowing. But of course, what they're doing is they're taking on a tremendous amount of risk because what happens if interest rates go up? Then they're holding a bond portfolio that's collapsing in value. At the same time, the cost of servicing their short-term debt is rising, and then you get a huge problem. And that's exactly what happened in the UK. All of the pension funds that had borrowed short to buy long-term bonds were getting crushed because the value of the bonds they owned was collapsing, and the cost of servicing the debt was soaring, and they were in a position where they were going to get margin calls, and those margin calls were going to force an already collapsing bond market to fall even more And that would have wreaked havoc throughout the United Kingdom. So, all of these pension fund managers had a big problem, and they just substituted it with an even bigger problem, but one that wasn't going to manifest itself for the longer term. They had a situation where they couldn't meet their obligations with the income they were able to generate from their bond portfolios. So, their solution was leverage. Their solution was to borrow money so they can actually earn interest on more bonds. Than they could afford to buy. But because interest rates were so low, the money was basically free. And so they can earn interest on bonds that they really couldn't afford to buy. Plus, because so many pension funds were actually buying more bonds than they had money, this put an artificial bid in the bond market and was helping to artificially prop up bond prices and suppress yields because there was more demand for bonds. Then there was actually savings to buy those bonds because the central bank was creating money out of thin air and basically giving it away for free. Now, there was a better way that pension funds could have solved these problems, a more honest way, a far less risky way. They could have told the people contributing to the pensions, let's say workers, hey, interest rates are really low, so you need to contribute more money to your pensions. See, that wouldn't have gone over very well with a lot of these employees who don't want to put more money in their pensions. They need that money for themselves. They want to pay their rent. They want to buy food. They don't want to have to contribute more to the pensions. Now, the other thing that the pensions could have said is because interest rates are so low, we're going to have to cut pension benefits because we can't earn enough money on our bond portfolios to pay what we promised. So we have to reduce what your benefits are going to be. Well, that doesn't go over very well either. Nobody wants their benefits cut. So the pension funds took the easy way out, but the very reckless way out of borrowing money. And everything was working fine until interest rates rose. And interest rates rose so much, especially in the last week, because the newly elected British prime minister wanted to reward all the people who voted for her by giving everybody tax cuts. So despite the fact that the United Kingdom has record inflation and record budget deficits, They decided to cut taxes and throw gasoline on a red-hot inflation fire. I pointed this out when it happened that this was going to backfire, and it did, because the British pound started a free fall. It went to a new all-time record low. It traded below $1.04, and yields started to spike. In fact, as of yesterday, yield on 30-year British gilts was up to about 5%. And what was happening is the pension funds were getting margin calls on all the money they had borrowed. And so they were going to be forced to sell their guilts into a depressed market. That would have crashed the market. Great Britain was looking at a potential crash in the bond market, which would have sent yields soaring even more, and everything would have imploded. And so to prevent that financial crisis, the Bank of England folded. They pivoted. They decided to launch a new QE program. Remember, yesterday they were committed to quantitative tightening. Now they said they will buy whatever it takes. They have now committed to another QE infinity in order to prop up the bond market. They now have to print British pounds to buy these gilts. And so instead of fighting inflation, which yesterday was public enemy number one, it had to be brought down at any cost. Now, all of a sudden, when you see the cost, well, forget about that. We're now going to create inflation because that is what the Bank of England is doing. They are now creating inflation. Now, they went out of their way to try to hide behind what just happened by saying, well, this is not a monetary policy decision, meaning we didn't decide to do it because we wanted to. We had to to avoid a crisis. But of course, it is a monetary policy decision because that's the only policy they make is monetary policy. Deciding to launch QE is monetary policy. I don't care what you want to pretend. That's what it is. Now, the Bank of England also said that the reason they're doing it is that they just want to maintain an orderly market. Well, you can't fight inflation and maintain an orderly market because the markets have been propped up by inflation. So if you're going to fight inflation, you better be prepared for a disorderly market. And until yesterday, the Bank of England was bluffing that they were, but now that Their bluff has been called. They've had to show their cards, and they're holding nothing. And so inflation won. The British people now have got to accept reality that inflation is here to stay, not just regular inflation, but extremely high inflation. It's not going to go away. The Bank of England has already made that choice. The question is, what about the other central banks? In particular, what about the Federal Reserve? Is the Federal Reserve, when confronted with the same situation, will they make a different choice than the Bank of England? Does the Federal Reserve have more integrity? Are these guys willing to allow a financial crisis? Because the same thing is going to happen here. We've got all sorts of leverage in our markets. We've got a bigger debt bubble than the British. It's just that the day of reckoning for us is not going to come as early as it did for them because the dollar is going up. It's not going down like the British pound. It's going up because America is benefiting from everybody else's problems. Even though America has bigger problems than everybody else, we're still benefiting from all the problems because the dollar is the reserve currency and the dollar is thought of as a safe haven. So when you're having problems in the UK, you buy dollars. The fact that the US has even bigger problems than you, well, that doesn't matter. The trade is there's a problem in the UK, buy dollars. There's a problem in the Eurozone. Buy dollars. There's a problem in Japan. Buy dollars. Yes, there's a problem all over the world. The biggest problem is in America, but nobody bothers to figure that out. They just keep on buying dollars. And so that delays our day of reckoning. But that day of reckoning is going to come. It's not permanently delayed, it's just temporarily delayed until ultimately we're confronted with the same reality that the Bank of England was confronted with today. And they made the exact choice. That I would have expected them to make, and they made the exact choice that I do expect Chair Powell made. I don't care how much he wants to bark about being tough on inflation. At the end of the day, he will not bite. The Fed is a paper tiger, and it will fold just as quickly as the Bank of England when they're confronted with an actual crisis. Sure, as long as stocks are still relatively high, as long as unemployment is still low, As long as housing hasn't imploded, as long as we haven't had a major economic event, a financial crisis, maybe a big increase in unemployment, as long as the Fed can pretend everything is okay, then it can pretend it's willing to accept minimal pain in order to deal with inflation. But when it's maximum pain, then the Fed will not have the stomach for that. It's going to go back to quantitative easing, just like the Bank of England. And, of course, the Bank of England is probably going to stop raising interest rates, and the Fed will do the same thing. In fact, there's already indications right now, as of today and yesterday, that there's some dissension in the ranks over at the Federal Reserve. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Charles Evans was interviewed. He's the Chicago Federal Reserve President. And he implied that he now believes the Fed has moved too quickly in raising interest rates. In other words, that the Fed has raised interest rates too much too quickly, and they have to slow the pace down. Now, the reality is they haven't gone too quickly. They've actually been operating at a snail's pace. They're only now trying to catch up because they've got so far behind the curve, and they still haven't caught up. But now you've got Charles Evans saying, we've done too much too soon. That is the first chink in the arbor there, an indication that they're going to back away from the rate hikes that they've already telegraphed. But I think more significantly, look at San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank President Mary Daly, who also said yesterday that while the Fed is resolute about bringing down high inflation, she wants to go as gently as possible so as not to drive the economy into a downturn. Excuse me. That ship has sailed. The economy is not only already in a downturn, it's already in recession, and that recession is getting worse. But what's more significant about that comment is she didn't talk about how she's willing to put the economy through pain. She wants to go gingerly. She wants to be as gentle as possible in her fight against inflation. Because she doesn't want the economy to go into a downturn. The downturn doesn't even mean a recession, maybe just slower growth. But the fact of the matter is, we have a massive inflation problem, and the time to go gingerly has long passed. The Fed already made a decision to let this inflation genie out of the bottle. They gambled when inflation was lower, and they gambled that it was transitory. If you remember, on my podcast, I accused the Fed of betting the FAR on transitory. Well, they lost the FAR, and now they have to fight a lot harder. And so now they can't be gentle. They have to be tough. They have to be tougher than inflation. You can't win a fight against inflation and be gentle. You've got to knock inflation out. You've got to get in the ring and kick inflation's butt. If you're just going to try to sweet talk the inflation genie back into the bottle, it ain't going to work. That inflation genie is having too much fun outside the bottle. It doesn't want to get back in. You've got to get tough. You've got to be willing to drive the economy into a downturn. If that's what it takes, you can't be gentle. This reveals that San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly really is not committed to fighting inflation. She's not as resolute as she claims. If her willingness to fight inflation ends, if that inflation fight does any serious collateral damage to the economy, because it will. Again, remember, the Bank of England was just as tough. They were just as committed and they were just as resolute until something bad happens. And what have I been saying on this podcast? We are one day away from a crisis blowing up. The same thing was true in the UK, and their crisis blew up this morning. It happened, and it's going to happen here. It's going to happen in the ECB. There are consequences to having interest rates at zero for more than a decade. One of those consequences was UK pensions being highly levered. They were trying to do what they could to make ends meet in a low-interest rate environment. You know, The same thing's been happening with insurance companies. Anybody that has been dependent on interest for bonds, they've had to do something to survive in a low interest rate environment. There's a lot of bond funds that are levered up as well. In order to maintain any kind of yield, they borrow money. They take on tremendous risk. That's why so many of these bond funds are falling so much because they are levered. The only way they were able to make the interest payments was because they took on debt. The buyers of these products had no idea how much risk the underlying funds were taking. They thought they were buying something safe. Something is safe, but not if you lever it up The minute you take on a lot of debt, it's not safe at all. So there's all sorts of malinvestments and risk-taking. In fact, one way a lot of people dealt with low yields on bonds is they bought more stocks. They gambled on the stock market going up because they couldn't get enough of return clipping the coupons on their bonds. So they figured they would buy more stocks and those stocks would go up and they would get that added return from stock market appreciation. Well, what if stocks go down? Not only don't you get any return, you actually lose money. So a lot of people ended up taking a lot more risk to compensate for the fact that rates were too low. These were the problems, the unintended consequences of Fed policy. They always wanted to talk about who gets helped by low interest rates. Oh, it makes it easier for people to go out and buy a home. Yes, there's always going to be a winner if you artificially lower interest rates, but there has to be a loser to offset that winner. Because if somebody gets to borrow money cheap, that means somebody else is having to loan money cheap. So it's good for the borrower. It is bad for the lender. And so low interest rates were punishing lenders. And how were lenders figuring out how to get around this? Well, again, the lenders in the UK, the pension funds that were lending money and buying bonds at these low interest rates, their solution was take on leverage. And I guess they just hoped that a day like this would never come, because what they did is they postponed the problem. They had a problem. They didn't have enough interest income on their bond portfolio. They could have solved the problem by being honest, telling their pensioners, we got to cut your benefits or you got to contribute more. They didn't want to do that. So they kicked the can down the road and they took on a bunch of debt and they postponed the pain until now. Of course, they're not really going to have to feel any of that pain because, once again, they're getting bailed out by their central bank. So they're not actually going to get punished for their reckless risk-taking. And one of the reasons they were likely willing to take that gamble is because they were also betting that their central bank would bail them out. That was the moral hazard precedent that we set in 2008. With all the bad actors, everybody who got too leveraged up because the money was too cheap, And so they were at the debt party. Nobody, maybe other than Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, had to deal with the consequences of that hangover because the central banks bailed everybody out. And the message that was sent was, keep dancing while the music is playing. Don't worry if it stops because the central banks got your back. Maybe had more of the central banks allowed over-leveraged banks or other speculators to go bankrupt, That would have sent a much better message. And so people would have been more careful this time because they would have learned a good lesson instead of a bad lesson. The good lesson would have been if you take on too much debt, you'll go bankrupt. And the people who didn't take on all that debt, who were more prudent, they were able to benefit by picking up the pieces. But what everybody learned by the 2008 bailouts was it makes no sense to be prudent because you're going to get bailed out either way. So the central banks encouraged the people who were taking risk before to take even more risk in the future. And the people who were cautious, who didn't take risk, well, they felt like suckers getting taxed to bail out everybody who did, and they got no positive benefit for having not stayed at that party. Well, they decided to join the party. So because of the central banks, everybody Was taking on more risk, and that's one of the reasons that we're in so much more trouble now. This is a much bigger bubble, and the consequences are far greater when it pops. Which is why, when push comes to shove, the central banks won't, including the Fed. And so, overleveraged British pensions got bailed out by the Bank of England, and that is the same thing that I think everybody on Wall Street expects. If you're one of those people who keep planning on making a budget. But never do is somehow you keep missing those credit card payments. If you're afraid to even look at your bank statements, then it's time to take back control of your personal financial life. Meet Rocket Money, formerly True Bill, our favorite financial app. So why did True Bill change its name to Rocket Money? This is what I've heard. True Bill, now backed by Rocket Companies, has grown from a bill management app into a full-on personal financial empowerment tool that helps over 3.4 million people with budgeting, lowering their bills. Canceling subscriptions and more, saving each of their members on average $700 a year. And with all that growth comes the next evolution in Truebill's story, a new name. Bottom line, Rocket Money is everything I've loved about Truebill, but with a fresh look and feel. Think about it. How many different financial accounts do you actually have? And aren't you tired of jumping from your credit card account to your checking account to your investment account just to figure out how you're doing? Now it's time to take back control of your financial life with Rocket Money. And just like Truebill, Rocket Money still lets me keep tabs on my wife's spending. Because every time she makes a large purchase, which unfortunately happens too often, I'm alerted to the transaction. And because she realizes that I'm paying attention, she may be just a bit reluctant to buy another handbag or that new pair of shoes. So start canceling your unused subscriptions and save money today at rocketmoney.com slash goal. That's rocketmoney.com slash goal. Or just download the app from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. One of the reasons? that everybody was confident to take on so much debt during the environment of 0% interest rates is because they were confident if something ever happened, like today's crisis in the UK, that the Fed would bail them out, that the Fed's got everybody's back. Now, what has changed recently is a lot of people in the US have begun to question the Fed put. Did the put expire with Powell? Because Powell is talking so tough right now as if, hey, we don't care if there's another long-term capital management. We don't care if there's a Lehman Brothers or a Bear Stearns or a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. We don't care. We don't care if there's another GM. Any companies that go up bankrupt, any banks that fail, we don't care because we're fighting inflation. We're committed to fighting inflation. And there are a lot of people that have just believed that. I never believed that. There's no way that commitment is real. It is all a bluff. Again, when you don't have a stick, you got to speak loudly because you don't ever want to have to use your stick because you don't have it. So what Hal is hoping is if I talk tough enough, I'll never actually have to do anything, right? I can keep on barking, 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 but I'll never have to bite and reveal that I got no teeth. Well, the Fed has no teeth, just like the Bank of England has no teeth because they have no stomach for the severity of this crisis. If they did, they wouldn't have bailed everybody out In 2008. If they did, they wouldn't have bailed everybody out in 2020. That was just a couple of years ago. We had COVID. This Federal Reserve was tightening interest rates before COVID, but they had to stop. They had to go back down to zero. They had to relaunch quantitative easing. Why didn't they do nothing? That would have been the right thing. In fact, the right thing would have been to shrink money supply along with this contraction in supply so that demand could come down with supply. But that was too much pain in the short run. The Federal Reserve didn't want to do that. So they did what they've always done. They've kicked the can down the road and opted for inflation over pain. That's what they're going to do this time. Except right now, the pain is being caused by inflation. And so they're pretending that they're committed to fighting it. But the Bank of England had a choice to make, inflation or the economy. Financial crisis. Inflation is a problem. A financial crisis is a bigger problem. We can't let voters lose a bunch of money quickly. We'd rather have them lose it slowly through inflation. And that's what's going to happen. And that's why I said earlier in this podcast, the British had better get ready for inflation because inflation is now going to be part of the British experience. It's never going to go away because the Bank of England has already made that decision and it's not going to walk it back. Yes, inflation is bad, but fighting it is even worse. So deal with it, because the only way to fight inflation, too, is they need to cut government spending. But what did the British government just do? They cut taxes instead. They did the opposite. Well, we did the same thing here with our ridiculously named Inflation Reduction Act. We increased government spending. That's the same thing as cutting taxes. That's a stimulative policy that makes inflation worse. The only reason the dollar didn't tank on these spending bills is because of this reserve status and because we're benefiting from the dollar as a safe haven. Imagine what would be happening in the U.S. right now if the dollar was collapsing instead of rising. In fact, here's an example of how the strong dollar is helping Americans. Apple came out yesterday after the close and announced that they were going to have to cut production on the iPhone 14 because demand wasn't as much as they had expected. And Apple stock was down maybe three, 4% initially. But with today's rally on Wall Street, it paired those losses considerably. I think Apple was only down about one and a half percent. But the significance here is that they had to cut production because people aren't buying a new iPhone. And it's not that People don't want the new iPhone. Everybody always wants the newest iPhone. That's why they keep rolling these things out and people keep buying it. Even though they have a perfectly good phone, they buy the new one anyway because it's slightly better. It's not that much better, but people want to have the newest and the best and so they buy it. Well, the reason they're not doing that now is because they don't have the money. We have weak economies around the world. We have high inflation around the world. People are spending so much money on food, on energy, on rent, on insurance, you name it, they're spending more money on it. People just don't have the purchasing power anymore to spring for a new iPhone. So I'm not going to buy the iPhone 14. I'm just going to keep using the iPhone 13 or the iPhone 12, whatever you got, they work just fine. And so Apple is now finding out that they can't just keep rolling out a new phone every year and their customers are going to spring a 1000 bucks to buy it or $800 to buy it because they don't Have the money. But here's the significance Apple did not raise prices for the iPhone 14 in America. It's the same price as the iPhone 13. But in Europe, in Japan, there were significant price increases. Why were there price increases? Because the euro went down, the yen went down. And so Apple had to charge more money for those phones. The reason Americans didn't have to pay more money is because the dollar didn't go down like those other currencies. But even though Americans didn't experience a price increase, they still didn't have the money to buy the phones. But it's even worse in Europe, where many of these countries are experiencing higher rates of domestic inflation. So their cost of food, their cost of energy is going up even faster than in America. But in addition, the new iPhone went up in price too. So they just didn't have the money. And so Foreign sales are probably even in greater peril than divesting sales, but this is not gonna be a situation that's isolated to Apple. All sorts of companies that sell products that you don't absolutely need are gonna have a lot of problems. That's why the companies that I've been investing in are companies that sell products that people need, not products that people want. Because when times are tough, you can give up the things you want so that you have money to pay for the things you need. It's only when you can cover all the things that you need that you have extra money to buy those things that you want. So the companies that are selling the things people want are in a lot of trouble because their customers are going to spend all their money on the stuff that they need. But I want to switch gears and now focus on the market's reaction to what happened in the UK, because this is extremely important for investors, for the listeners of my podcast, Many of whom are clients, or maybe they're following my investment strategies on their own. I think this was a very significant day for those strategies because I think what happened in the UK was kind of like an emperor has no clothes moment over here as well. Because I think it's causing a lot of people to question the narrative that they've been running off the narrative that's been out there about this tough Fed committed to fighting inflation, no matter the cost, because they saw how quickly the British central bank that was just as committed to fighting inflation surrendered to inflation. Now they realize that maybe the same fate awaits the Federal Reserve, that when it is confronted with its crisis, that it's going to make the same choice. And so we saw big moves in the bond market, the foreign currency markets. The gold market. There were also big moves in the stock market. The Dow was up almost 550 points, but I don't think the stock market move was nearly as significant as the moves we saw in bonds, the dollar, and gold, because all three of those markets had significant outside days. And what an outside day is a technical pattern where on one day, the market goes below the low of the previous day and also goes below the high of the previous day and then closes either above that high or below that low. And that's exactly what happened in all three of those markets. First, let's take a look at the bond market because earlier this morning, before everything blew up, the yield on a 10-year treasury actually got above Four percent. That was the first time it had traded that high in this move. And the yield ended up closing at 3.705. So basically a 30 basis point swing in the yield on a 10-year treasury. And the yield collapsed across the curve, the smallest decline on the 30-year. In fact, yesterday, for the first time, the yield on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage went above 7%. I think the actual average was 7.08. This is the first time 30-year fixed-rate mortgages have been above 7% since 2002. But also, if you look at the year-over-year rise in rates, this is the biggest year-over-year increase in rates since 1981, and that was the year that mortgage rates peaked. But the peak was 18.63%, so we clearly have a long way to go to get that high but the big difference was 1981 was the end of an inflation cycle. I think in 2022 we're really one year in to the inflation cycle because our cycle started in 2021. So we got a long way to go before rates come anywhere close to peaking in the United States, but clearly a 7% mortgage was going to be a big problem for the US housing market which already has a lot of problems. Now I think The reversal that we had today in the bond market is going to probably put in a short-term up in yields and a bottom in bond prices, meaning bond prices will rise somewhat from here and yields will come down. Now, I don't think this is the end of the bond bear market. This is probably the beginning of a correction in that bear market, but I think this is early in this bear market. Remember, we had a bull market in bonds that went from 1981 all the way to 2000, that bull market peaked in March of 2000 during the COVID crisis. In fact, on this podcast, I call officially the end of the bond bull market right on to when we had those ridiculously low, sub 1% yields on 10 to 30 year US treasuries. I said on my podcast, What we were witnessing was a speculative blow-off top to that near 40-year bull market in bonds, and that we were ushering in a new bear market that would also last a long time, maybe not quite 40 years, but it's going to be around for a long, long time. And right now, we're only a couple of years into that bear market. Of course, every bear market has bull market corrections, and we're probably going to see one right now. But what investors don't understand is that inflation is going to get much worse as a result of what's happening. And the economy going into recession is not going to put out the inflation fire. It's going to fuel it because the next recession is going to come with a surge in deficits that are already surging based on the backup and interest rates that has already occurred. And as we go into recession, the deficits are going to explode based on all the other automatic stabilizers where the government spends more and collects less. And of course, Congress is going to pass new spending and maybe even tax cuts to stimulate the economy in the recession. And all this is bad for bonds. So, all the investors who are buying bonds because the Fed is going to ease off in the inflation fight have better realize that the asset that's damaged most from inflation is bonds. And if the Fed is not going to fight as hard to bring down inflation, then that is bearish for bonds. But I think the more significant one-day outside reversals were in the dollar and gold, because I think those reversals could mark key turning points in both the dollar and gold, for the dollar, a key top, and for gold, a key bottom. Taking a look at gold first, the price of gold in the morning took out yesterday's low and then closed today above yesterday's high with about a $30 gain on the day. In fact, gold stocks had huge gains today. The GDX rose better than 7% on the day. The GDXJ up almost 8%. And there were some individual gold stocks that were up as much as 10% on the day. These were very significant moves up, as was the move in gold itself. And what was interesting is even earlier this morning, when the dollar was positive, Based on the initial sell off in the British pound that dragged down other currencies, gold was still positive. In fact, gold was actually down about 10 bucks before we got the news out of the Bank of England that they were going to launch QE. And that immediately caused gold to rise, even though the dollar rose as well. In fact, gold was trading just below 1620 before the news came out. And then it rallied above 1660. So a $40 intraday rally. In the price of gold. And to me, what was so bullish about this rally was that it started even as the dollar was rising. And that is extremely bullish because it shows that gold can rise even if the dollar is rising too. And I think as this sinks in, the price of gold is really going to start to take off, especially when investors connect the dots and realize it's only a matter of time before the Fed pivots too. And with the Fed pivots, that has much bigger ramifications for the gold price than the Bank of England pivoting. Taking a look at the dollar index itself, the high, which occurred as a knee-jerk by the dollar reaction to the Bank of England news that sent the pound lower, it sent the dollar index higher. It got to 114.80. That was a new high. And then we ended up closing down at 112.70. And so during the day, the dollar index took out yesterday's high and then closed below yesterday's low. So I think this is very significant for the dollar. It looks like the high for the dollar is in. Again, I'd say we need a close below 105 to basically know that for sure. But I think to me, the odds now look pretty good that the high is in based on what just happened. But if we can confirm this with a drop below 105, and it closed significantly below there, I would say for sure the top is in in the dollar. And that means if the top is in, it's a long way down to the bottom. And I think the dollar is going to head south in a big way because there's a lot of people who are along the dollar now who are going to be unwinding those trades. And of course, then the fundamentals are going to be driving the dollar lower, which are rising budget deficits, rising trade deficits, more money printing, And so it's a long way down for the dollar. And that means it's a long way up for all the anti dollar investments that I have been encouraging people to make. And so the bottom line of everything that just happened is the bell was rung. I think it's time to go all in on the anti dollar trade, especially since the dollar is still so close to its peak and so many investments that will do well. As the dollar falls are so close to their lows, specifically the gold and silver mining stocks, the emerging markets, everything that has suffered from an excessively strong dollar will benefit when the air comes out of that dollar bubble. So if the action in the markets has worried you, and I know a lot of clients of mine have expressed concerns either to myself or to the representatives that they're working with, I understand it's frustrating to watch positions go against you, especially when you believe that they should be going for you because everything that's happening is what we expected to happen. The only thing is we expected the dollar to fall instead of rise, and we expected gold to rise instead of fall. But all the things that we expected to cause those moves, they happened. Those were the things that nobody else expected. All the bulls that were riding the wave of liquidity and drunk on all that cheap money and living in a stock market bubble that they couldn't see, we were sober, we saw the bubble for what it was, and we did the smart thing instead of the foolish thing, and for a while, we weren't getting paid. Well, I think those days of waiting are coming to an end. I think we can see the light now at the end of a very long tunnel. We were right on the macroeconomic fundamentals, and we were right on the investment strategy as well. Yes, we're gonna get paid later than I thought, on that strategy, but the payday itself is going to be much bigger, I think, because all these years of can kicking, more than a decade of kicking that can down the road, during that time period, the problems have grown so much greater. The bubble is now so much bigger and so much more air would be coming out that I think the Fed is going to have to work harder to pump that much more air into it to try to prevent the collapse. And so the ultimate collapse of the dollar is going to be much greater. In fact, a decade ago, I thought that hyperinflation was a worst-case low-probability scenario. I knew it could happen as a worst-case scenario, but I thought the probability was low. At this point, though, given how long this has gone, I think the probability of a hyperinflation scenario is much greater. Is it now the most likely scenario? Probably not. I think the dollar won't lose all of its value, which basically happens in hyperinflation. But I still believe that will lose most of its value, which would be more than 50% of its value. That's a lot to lose. And that means there's an even bigger amount to gain if you're investing outside the dollar. But I think the risk is very real that we have a run on the dollar and we have an inflation rate that would wipe out 80% or more of the dollar's value. That would probably constitute hyperinflation. Even if the dollar did go to zero, it would get pretty damn close. And so if that is a higher probability right now, it's even more important that you guard against that risk. And the way you do that is by getting out of U.S. dollars and all U.S. dollar-denominated paper assets. So you want to own foreign dividend-paying stocks. You want to get into the emerging markets. You want to own commodities. You want to own the precious metals. You want to own the miners and you want to buy them now while they're still cheap because if you don't buy them cheap, you'll end up buying them when they're expensive or worse. You won't end up buying them at all because you won't be able to afford to buy it because you will have been priced out of the market.